Welcome back to That 70s Card Show. I'm your host, John Keating, and I thank you for joining me as I take a look back at the cards and the culture of the very colorful 1970s. We'll revisit a more simple time in our hobby by taking a deep dive into the sets and stats with a generous amount of dad facts sprinkled in. That 70s Card Show is currently sponsored by Nobody. If you have a comment or suggestion, I urge you to drop me a line at that70scardshow at gmail.com, That 70s Card Show on Facebook, or 70s Card on Twitter. All spelled out, no numbers, folks. So this week's episode is episode number 10. And before we get into episode number 10, I just want to say that I am still uh, away on business in Chicago, Illinois. And this past weekend, I had the joy of tuning in and enjoying Hobby Palooza Part 2, Hobby Palooza 21, however it is marketed. It was a wonderful experience. So many great content creators, people I recognize from podcasts, uh, also hosting YouTube hour-long stints with special guests, trivia, uh, giveaways, auctions, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, Bench Clear Media, thank you so much for uh, making my weekend go uh, a little less, um, a little less depressing being in a hotel room. So it was it was a wonderful way to pass the time. Uh, Mike and Ty at Bench Clear, thanks again, and thanks to all the people I got to interact with and uh, chat with and uh, make a fool out of myself in the chat box. So I appreciate you guys, everything you do, everybody in the hobby. Uh, appreciates the content. Keep up the great work. And um, looking forward to next year already. So it is July 13th, 2021, and this marks the 50th anniversary of a wonderful event in baseball history. July 13th, 1971, the Major League Baseball game was Major League Baseball All-Star game was held at Tiger Stadium in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, there were 25 future Hall of Famers or managers, Hall of Fame managers, on the rosters that evening at Tiger Stadium, and it was the last All-Star game to be held at Tiger Stadium. Previous two All-Star games there were 1941 and 1951 uh, at um, Briggs Stadium, as it was called back then. Uh, we had, again, 25 future Hall of Fame players or managers, a couple of foyer famers there, uh, Tony Oliva, Rusty Staub, Willie Davis, Norm Cash, Bill Freeman, and Mickey Lowlich for the hometown Tigers, and uh, a pair of Hall of Infamy members as well, charter member Pete Rose, of course, and Doc Ellis, and uh, Doc would play a very prominent role in the this episode, as we will find out here in a few minutes. So home runs that evening were hit in um, kind of sort of order by uh, Johnny Bench, Hank Aaron, Frank Robinson, Roberto Clemente, who was playing in his last All-Star game, I believe, and Harmon Killebrew. So that's quite a lineup there. But the one hit by 25-year-old Reginald Martinez Jackson was the mightiest of them all. 563 career home runs in the regular season, 18 postseason home runs, and exactly one all-star game home run, which was probably his most famous of all. Uh, the wind apparently that night was blowing out at 
a rate of 35 miles per hour to right field. And as uh, Bill Freehand said pregame, Tiger Stadium stood no chance. Uh, so Reggie Jackson facing the aforementioned Doc Ellis uh, took a chance himself on a 1-2 pitch. And uh, while on a sore hamstring, uh, hit what some, including National League manager Sparky Anderson, say uh, was a ball that was still ascending when its flight was interrupted 520 feet from home plate by a lighting tower transformer perched high above the field on the roof of Tiger Stadium. Uh, The ball was returned to the stadium, landing in shallow right field after its violent journey, uh, landed right on the blue star painted in right field, if I recall correctly. And uh, Jackson himself was later quoted as saying, all I can say is that ball had places to go. Al Kaline described it as one of the most amazing home runs he had ever seen. This is a gentleman who hit 399 of them himself, uh, played with Harmon Kilbrew and Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, and uh, again, one of the most amazing home runs he had ever seen. And uh, a collegiate study from the late 1970s would peg its projected landing spot some 650 feet from home plate. So... The AL would snap a nine-game losing streak and top the NL 6-2 that evening. Uh, but the story of the night were obviously the home runs and, more importantly, uh, Reggie Jackson's home runs. So we're going to talk a little bit here about uh, Reginald Martinez Jackson, a much maligned figure in baseball history but a an important one nonetheless in both the history of the game and the history of our hobby so reggie was born in um abington pa suburb of philadelphia grew up in cheltenham pa he was born may 18 1946 uh reggie would eventually bat left-handed and throw left-handed and top out at six feet even and 195 pounds uh, as a somebody who grew up watching reggie jackson on a regular basis i always thought he was much bigger than that uh turns out that's not the case uh so reggie had kind of a uh perhaps a slightly difficult childhood his father uh martinez jackson uh was half puerto rican and he worked as a tailor and was a former second baseman with the Newark Eagles in the Negro National in the Negro uh, Baseball League, and uh, Martinez Jackson raised Reggie as a uh, single parent, and um, yeah, so he comes from a broken home, suburbs of Philly. Uh, he graduates from Cheltenham High School in 1964. In high school, uh, Reggie was a tailback in football. Uh, he injured his knee early in the game his junior year in the fall of 1962. He was told by doctors that he would never play football again or was to never play football again, I should say. But Jackson returned for the final game of the season. In that game, Jackson ended up fracturing five of his cervical vertebrae, which caused him to spend six weeks in the hospital and another month in the neck cast. Doctors told Jackson that he might never be able to walk again, let alone play football, but Jackson defied the odds again. 
So, uh, high school baseball team, Reggie batted 550 through several no hitters. And um, during his senior year, Reggie's father was arrested for bootlegging and was sentenced to six months in jail. I don't know anybody in can say that they had a bootlegging father who was also a professional tailor. Uh, football appeared to be Reggie's first love, and he was recruited by Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, all of whom were willing to break the color barrier just for Jackson, according to Wikipedia. Jackson declined Alabama and Georgia because he was fearful of the South at the time, again, mid to late 60s. And Oklahoma had uh, outright told him, apparently, that uh, uh, he should stop dating white girls, which is why he declined Oklahoma. So uh, baseball side of things, Jackson was scouted by Hans Lobert of the San Francisco Giants, who was desperate to sign him, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Minnesota Twins also made offers, as did the hometown Philly. Well, um, let me back up here. The Phillies gave him a tryout, but declined because of his, quote, hitting skills, end quote. Uh, he ended up accepting a football scholarship to play for Arizona State University in Tempe University. Interesting because Arizona State is a, um, a traditional baseball powerhouse, as we know from Barry Bonds and other people. So... Um, <clears throat> Reggie decided to attend there for football reasons, which is which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so uh, he's on campus, and one day after football practice, he approached the Arizona State University baseball coach Bobby Winkles, who would uh, go on to manage the California Angels, I believe, according to I think it's a seventy-four tops card, and asked if he could join the team. Winkles said he would give Jackson a look, and the next day, while still in his football gears, he hit a football gear, not gears, gear. He hit a home run on the second pitch he saw. In five subsequent pitches, he hit three more home runs. So he was allowed to practice with the team but could not join the squad because the NCAA still had that rule forbidding the use of freshman players. Jackson switched permanently to baseball following his freshman year as he did not want to become a defensive back. Remember, six foot 195, that's defensive back territory. Uh, to hone his skills, Winkles assigned him to a Baltimore Orioles-affiliated amateur team. Uh, he broke numerous, uh, numerous team records for the squad, and the Orioles offered him a $50,000 signing bonus if he joined the team. Jackson declined the offer, stating that he did not want to forfeit his college scholarship. And... Uh, <clears throat> return to Arizona State. So in the 66 Major League Baseball draft on June 7th of that year, Reggie Jackson was selected by the Kansas City Athletics, and he was the second overall pick behind 17-year-old catcher Steve Chilcott, who was taken by the New York Mets. Uh, Big mistake there, Mets. So Reggie goes to the minor leagues, into the Kansas City Athletics minor league system. I think first year he played single A, uh, 26 home runs, 84 RBIs, 273 batting average pretty darn good for your first uh, professional year 67 he would um, play a whopping 150 games at the minor league level full season there 108 rbis uh, 25 homers 79 rbis 108 runs scored i'm sorry 79 rbis and a 299 batting average which isn't uh, 
typically indicative of a uh, Reggie Jackson batting average stat line. Uh, Reggie debuted in that 67 season during the uh, summer uh, <clears throat> in a Friday doubleheader in Kansas City on June 9th. Uh, shutout sweep of the Cleveland Indians. Scores 2-0 and 6-0 in favor of the hometown Kansas City Athletics at Municipal Stadium. Jackson had his first career hit in the nightcap, and uh, it was a leadoff triple in the fifth inning off of long reliever Orlando Pena. So uh, his tenure in Kansas City was brief as the Athletics would go west. Uh, Charlie Finney would move them to Oakland prior to the 1968 season, and Jackson uh, would hit. Uh, he'd have a heck of a uh, first year in Oakland. Um, his first year there in '68, he hit 29 home runs, um, 74 RBIs. Not bad. At '66, he wasn't eligible for the rookie rookie uh, of the year award because in '67, apparently, he played 35 games for the big the big league team. I, I don't understand how that jives with 150 games in the minors as well, but <clears throat> math is hard for me. Anyway, uh, let's talk about his 1969 season, right? So 1969, uh, Reggie turns it on. 123 runs scored, 47 home runs. That's four, followed by a seven, and 118 RBIs, and 114 walks. So uh, his... Um, you know, his 275 batting average supplemented with those walks turns into a 410 on base percentage, which is pretty darn good for a Reggie Jackson guy. So, even with 47 home runs, 118 RBIs, and 123 runs, he finishes fifth in the MVP balloting that year. Um, some big time players in front of him. Uh, Killebrew was first with uh, 49 RBIs, 100, I'm sorry, 49 home runs, 140 RBIs. Boog Powell, second in balloting, 37 home runs, 120 RBIs, 121 RBIs. Uh, Boog's teammate, Frank Robinson, was uh, 32 homers, 100 RBIs, 308 average. <clears throat> and Frank Howard would finish fourth in balloting, 48 home runs, 111 RBIs, and a 296 average, which without knowing that much that seems like it's pretty good for frank howard you know brushing up against 300 like that <clears throat> so let's talk about uh those crazy a's um you know the 70s were dominated by a handful of teams the a's had the most success out of any of them winning five straight division titles in the west 71 uh they won their first american league West Division title. It was their first title of any kind since 1931 when they played in Philadelphia. Uh, they were swept in three games in the American League Championship Series by the Baltimore Orioles. Keep in mind that this Baltimore Orioles team was the one that had four starting pitchers that won 20 games that year. So, um, That's there's no shame in that, guys. No shame at all. Um, anyway, the A's wouldn't be wouldn't be down for long. In '72, uh, they won a division again, <clears throat> and their series with the Tigers went the full five games. Uh, that's five games uh, in the division series back then. And Reggie scored the tying run in the clincher on a steal at home. <clears throat> Reggie Jackson stole home plate. 
to score the tying run. That's crazy, huh? But in the process, he tore his hamstring and would be unable to play in the World Series. The A's still managed to defeat the Cincinnati Reds in seven games. And uh, it says here that it was the first championship won by a San Francisco Bay Area team in any major league sport. I could have sworn the Giants won something in the 60s, but I'm wrong, I suppose. Um, Yeah, so... uh, Anyway... uh, Jackson helped the the A's win the pennant again in 1973 and was named Most Valuable Player of the American League for the season. Uh, That year, 73, uh, Reggie would hit 32 home runs, drive in 117 runs, and score 99 runs himself. And a pretty decent 293 average slugging percentage he led the league in with a .531. So uh, MVP, well done, Reggie. Uh, the A's defeated the New York Mets in seven games. Uh, it was a hard-fought series, apparently. Uh, this time, Jackson was not only able to play, but his performance led to him being awarded the series MVP as well as the regular season MVP. In the third inning of that seventh game, which ended in a 5-2 score, the A's jumped out to a 4-0 lead as both Burt Campanaris and Jackson hit two home runs off John Maddox. John Matlack, the only two home runs Oakland hit the entire series. Crazy that Bert Campanaris was one of those. And the A's won the series again in 1974, defeating the Los Angeles Dodgers in five games. So prior to that 74 season and that third straight uh, championship by the A's, uh, Reggie won an arbitration case for $135,000 salary for the season. MVP, $135,000. Uh, nearly uh, reigning MVP, I should say, nearly doubling his previous year's salary of seventy thousand dollars. On June fifth, uh, outfielder Billy North and Jackson engaged in a clubhouse fight at Detroit's Tiger Stadium. Uh, you know, Jackson injured his shoulder. Uh, catcher Ray Fossey, attempting to separate the combatants, suffered a crushed disc in his neck, costing him three months on the disabled list. Regardless, again, that was 74. They uh, did win their third straight World Series. So he was paid uh, $140,000 in 1975 as the A's did win their fifth division series. Uh, Red Sox beat them, I believe, in the... uh, um, A's won their fifth division, straight division. Red Sox beat them in in the uh, ALCS. Got that part right. And anyway, Reggie was one of uh, nine... Oakland players who refused to sign their 1976 contracts. Jackson had sought a three-year, $600,000 deal. Um, and with free agency imminent after the season and the expectations of higher salaries for which Athletics owner Charlie Finley was unwilling to pay, Jackson was traded along with Ken Holtzman and minor league right-handed pitcher Bill Von Bommel. Don't know him. Uh, to the Orioles for Don Baylor, Mike Torres, and Paul Mitchell, not the hair guy, on April 2nd, 1976. <clears throat> Took Reggie a little while to report. I don't think he was too happy, but he probably, uh, after a couple weeks, he realized Baltimore was definitely greener pastures uh, than Oakland. Uh, so in Baltimore, as they say down there, Reggie had a solid season, 134 games. He had 27 home runs, 91 um, RBIs 
84 runs scored. Bat it. Uh, two seven seven. So, uh, yeah, decent stopover. And uh, anyway, uh, up north there on ninety five, the Yankees had won the pennant in seventy six, but were swept by the legendary Big Red Machine in four games in the World Series. Greatest offensive team, at least in the last half of the twentieth century, possibly of all time. Those Reds were. <clears throat> so a month later. Uh, on November 29th, uh, the Yankees signed Jackson to a five-year contract totaling $2.96 million. Uh, the number nine that he had worn in Oakland and Baltimore was already used by Yankee third baseman Greg Nettles, so Jackson asked for number 42 in memory of Jackie Robinson. But hey, that number was given to pitching coach Art Fowler so, uh, before the start of the season. <clears throat> so... Uh, Reggie didn't get number 42 either. So noting that Hank Aaron at the time, the holder of the career record for most home runs, had just retired, Jackson asked for and received number 44 as a tribute to Aaron. Jackson wore number 20 for one game during spring training as a tribute to the also recently retired Frank Robinson, but then he switched back to number 44. June 18th of uh, 1977, Brother Paul's 12th birthday, uh, a 10-4 loss to the Boston Red Sox in a nationally televised game at Fenway Park in Boston. Jim Rice, a powerful hitter but notoriously slow runner, hit a ball into shallow right field that Jackson appeared to weakly attempt to field. Jackson failed to reach the ball, which fell far in front of him, thereby allowing Rice to reach second base. Uh, A furious Billy Martin removed Reggie Jackson from the game without even waiting for the end of the inning, sending Paul Blair out to replace him. When Jackson arrived at the dugout, Martin yelled that Jackson had shown him up. They argued, and Jackson said that Martin's heavy drinking had impaired his judgment. Martin lunged at him and had to be restrained by coaches Yogi Berra and Elston Howard. Red Sox fans could see in the dugout and began cheering wildly and the NBC TV cameras showed the confrontation to the entire country. Great watching. For those that didn't see it, I remember watching. I think I remember watching a while it happened. It was pretty amazing to see that happen. All hell kind of broke loose there in the dugout. Um, So uh, anyway, the legend of Mr. October was also born that year. Um, During the uh, World Series against the Dodgers, uh, Munson was interviewed and suggested Thurman Munson was interviewed and suggested that Jackson because of his past postseason performances might be a better interview subject go ask Mr. October Munson said giving Jackson a nickname that would stick in October uh, in Oakland uh, Jackson had been known as Jax or Buck but anyway uh, Reggie lived up to the name and hit home runs in game four and game five of the series so let's talk a little bit about those two games here. So in, uh, uh, well, those two games, but let's talk about game six here. So Jackson's crowning achievement came with his first, with his three-run performance in, with his three-run performance in World Series clinching game six. I don't know why I can't speak right now. Each on the first pitch off three different Dodgers pitchers. His first plate appearance, by the way, was a walk uh, on four pitches in that game. So uh, the first home run came off of starter Bert Hooten. <clears throat> it was a line drive shot into the lower right field seats of Yankee Stadium. Second was a much faster line drive off of Elias Sosa into roughly the same area. 
with the fans chanting, Reggie, Reggie, Reggie. The third one came off of reliever Charlie Huff, a knuckleball pitcher, uh, making the distance of this home run particularly remarkable. It was a towering drive into the black painted batter's eye seats in center, 475 feet away from home plate. Jackson stated afterwards that scouting reports provided by Gene Michael and Bertie Tebbets played a large role in his success. Their reports indicated that the Dodgers would attempt to pitch him inside, and Jackson was prepared. <clears throat> Turn on that ball, Reggie. Anyway, Jackson uh, had hit a home run off of Dodger pitcher Don Sutton in his last at bat at Game 5, and his three home runs in Game 6 meant that he had hit four home runs on four consecutive swings of the bat against as many Dodger pitchers. Pretty good, dude. And uh, anyway, Jackson subsequently became the first player to win the World Series MVP award for two different teams. Uh, at that point, uh, in 27 World Series games, he had amassed, he had amassed, I'm sorry, in 27 World Series games, Reggie had amassed 10 home runs, including a record five during the 77 series. <clears throat> Again, the last three on first pitches, 24 RBIs and a 357 batting average. Babe Ruth, Albert Pujols, and Pablo Sandoval are the only players that hit three home runs in a single World Series games. The only other players, right? Babe Ruth had accomplished that feat twice in 26 and 28. With 25 total bases in the 77 series, Jackson also broke uh, Ruth's record of 22 dating back to that 1928 series. <clears throat> this remains a World Series record tied by Willie, Siri, Willie Stargell in the 1979 World Series. Uh, by the way, Chase Utley in 2009 and George Springer in 2017 have since tied Jackson's record for most home runs in a single World Series. <clears throat> so moving on to 1978, middle of the season where things always seem to go wrong for Billy and Reggie. Uh, Billy suspended uh, Reggie for disobeying a sign during a July 17th game, and Martin made a statement about his two main antagonists referring to comments Jackson had made and team, sto- team owners George Steinbrenner's 1972 violation of campaign finance laws. They're made for each other, said Martin. One's a born liar, the other's convicted. Martin was fired the next day, oddly enough. After being 14 games behind the first-place Red Sox on July 18th, the Yankees finished the season in a tie for first place behind skipper Bob Lemon. The the two teams played a playoff game at uh, Fenway for the division title with the Yankees winning 5-4. Although the home run by light-hitting shortstop Bucky Dent in the seventh got the most noticed, it was the eighth-inning home run by Jackson that gave the Yankees the fifth run they needed. They ended up needing. The next day, with the American League Championship Series, with the Royals beginning, Jackson hit a home run off of the Royals' top reliever at the time, Al Hraboski, the flamboyant man-Hungarian. The Yankees won the pennant in four games, their third straight. <clears throat> and finished off the Dodgers in six with Reggie hitting a two-run homer. So, again, 27 World Series games, 10 home runs, uh, record five during the 77 series, uh, 24 RBIs, and 357 batting average. Mr. October, indeed. In 1980, Jackson batted 300 for the only time in his career, and his 41 homers were tied with Ben Ogilvie of the Milwaukee Brewers for the American League lead. 
That year, he won the inaugural Silver Slugger Award as designated hitter. In 1982, Jackson became a free agent once again. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. In 1982, Jackson became a free agent following an 81 season. And the owner of the California Angels, entertainer Gene Autry, had heard Jackson's desire to return to California to play and signed him to a five-year contract. In September 17th, on September 17th, of 1984, on the 17th anniversary of the day he hit his first home run, Jackson hit his 500th home run in Anaheim Stadium off of Bud Black of the Royals. Talk about symmetry, right? First home run and 500th home run on the same day of the year. So in 87, uh, Reggie signed a one-year contract to return to the A's, wearing the number 44 in which he was now associated with rather than the number nine he had previously wore in Oakland. He announced he would retire after the season at the age of 41. In his last at-bat at Comiskey Park in Chicago on October 4th, he collected a broken bat single up the middle, but the A's lost to the White Sox. 5-2. to two. Jackson was the last player in the major leagues to have played for the Kansas City Athletics. Keep that trivia question in your pocket. That is an awesome one. Last player to have played for the Kansas City Athletics. So post-baseball, Jackson became the de facto spokesperson for the Upper Deck Company during the early 1990s, appearing in numerous advertisements, uh, personal appearances, uh, participating in the company's hero of... um, baseball exhibition games Uh, this affiliation also included the company's find the reggie promotion which inserted 2500 autograph cards into packs of 1990 upper deck baseball high series packs this inclusion of an autograph card marked the first uh an important first in what would become a very popular trend in the trading card hobby so thanks reggie for all you did to grow this hobby to where it is now because that stuff is still going crazy Eventually, Jackson and Steinbrenner reconciled, and Steinbrenner hired Jackson as a special assistant to their principal owner, making him a consultant and a liaison to the team's players, particularly those of minority standing. So a couple quotes about Reggie Jackson, and then uh, we'll follow it up with a couple quotes from Reggie Jackson. So sports author Dick Krauser once wrote, When the late Al Al Helfer was broadcasting the Oakland A's games, he was not too enthusiastic about Reggie Jackson's speed or his hustle. Once, with Jackson on third, teammate Rick Monday hit a long home run. Jackson should score easily on that one, commented Helfer. Krauser also noted that nobody seemed to be neutral on Reggie Jackson. You were either a fan or a detractor. When teammate Daryl Knowles was asked if Jackson was a hot dog, He famously replied, there isn't enough mustard in the world to cover Reggie Jackson. Jim Palmer, his teammate in that 1976 uh, Baltimore Orioles clubhouse, later wrote, I would say Reggie Jackson was arrogant, but the word arrogant isn't arrogant enough. Thurman Munson, uh, let's see here. Let's let's go with a couple catfish quotes here. Catfish Hunter... uh, had a couple great quotes that said he'd give you the shirt off his back of course he'd call a press conference to announce it and uh catfish hunter also said when you unwrap a reggie bar it tells you how good it is so reggie was famous for his uh his uh 
quote about his influence on the Yankees. This team, he said, it all flows from me. I'm the straw that stirs the drink. Maybe I should say me and Munson, but he can only stir it bad. And uh, while he was playing in Oakland uh, early on, Jackson was once quoted as saying of Billy Martin, I hate him, but if I played for him, I'd probably love him. Uh, We know that turned out not to be true. So, couple quotes from uh, the man himself. Uh, I didn't come to New York to be a star, he said. I brought my star with me. And then he also said, fans don't boo nobodies. In 1976, while playing for Baltimore, Jackson had said, if I played in New York, they'd name a candy bar after me. Of course, the Reggie Bar would debut in 1978 while playing for the Yankees. In the building I live in, on Park Avenue, there are 10 people who could buy the Yankees, but none of them can hit the ball out of Yankee Stadium, Reggie once said. I was reminded by Jim Bouton that when we lose and I strike out, a billion people in China don't care. <clears throat> so many ideas come to you when you're slumping, and you want to try, the, try them all, but you can't. You're like a mosquito in a nudist camp. You don't know where to start. The only reason I don't like playing in the World Series is I can't watch myself play. <clears throat> and finally, when you've played this game for 10 years and gone to bat 7,000 times and gotten 2,000 hits, do you know what that all really means? It means you've gone zero for 5,000. So Reggie could say some uh, shallow things, but Reggie could also say some deep things. So uh, <clears throat> thank you for those quotes, Reggie. Appreciate that. Um, Let's see here. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this guy, um, kind of his career stats. Uh, Reggie finished with a 262 batting average, which, believe it or not, folks, is kind of normal for that era, 70s power hitters. Finished with 2,584 hits, 563 regular season home runs, and 1,702 runs batted in. Uh, five teams played for uh well really four teams i guess uh kansas city and oakland athletics the baltimore orioles for one year uh new york yankees and california angels 14-time all-star five-time world champion that's one for every finger al mvp 73 uh world series world series mvp in 73 and 77 like we said four-time home run leader 73 75 80 and 82 uh only led to the league in Number retired, uh, number nine by the A's, number 44 by the Yankees. He's one of um, <clears throat> a fistful of people who have had their number retired by two teams. Um, he's in Monument Park there in center field of Yankee Stadium and a, a, the Athletics Hall of Fame as well. Reggie was inducted in 1993 to the Baseball Hall, Hall of Fame, uh, 93.6% vote on his first ballot again debuted june 9th 1967 last game october 4th 1987 uh just a uh stone cold dead killer at the plate uh reggie's major league uh record uh is not a good one he as as far as the record holder he is the all-time leading strikeout um has the all-time leading amount of strikeouts for a batter, 2,597 strikeouts, and uh, almost half of half of that uh, half of that number he has in walks. So, you know, again, swinging for the fences, and he was pretty darn successful at it. Uh, I don't begrudge him for that. Um, again, that's kind of what they did back then. Michael Jack Schmidt is a great example of that. 
he was a winner uh five five time uh champion you can't say anything more about that because uh mr october came through when it was time so let's talk about his cards a little bit reggie has on Becca.com, uh, 14,574 items listed, which is incredible. Uh, that's really an incredible number. Um, his 69 tops rookie card, number 260, uh, <clears throat> for which he is rumored to be hoarding a bunch of them himself in typical Reggie fashion, goes for about 250 to $600. Excellent to near mint condition there. Um, beautiful card i think a lot of us like those 69 tops uh his last base cards were issued in the 1970 in 1987 season uh from tops don ross and Fleer, all initially getting it wrong with him depicted as an angel later uh rectified with traded updated and opening day issues score and sport flicks would get into the action the following year with some um, base issues in 1988 uh, he certainly was not ignored during the height of the junk wax era. Plenty of uh, examples of his work in those cards. Uh, Jackson would feature, obviously, prominently throughout the 70s card sets and uh, the regionals, food issues, and, of course, tops. Um, that his, his most valuable card is a, uh, I think it's a tops stand-up from 73. And... Uh, Pretty well. That's his most <clears throat> most uh, expensive card from his playing days, I should say, because there was an upper deck auto something something from 1999 that tops out just under just under a thousand dollars. I think around nine hundred dollars. So, uh, but these stand ups and the comic cards, essentially, it's the same card. Uh, they're not numbered. I think they're just uh, series in alphabetical order. And oddly enough, it's a Topps card that does not have a team logos on the helmets. Everything's been airbrushed out, which is crazy. But those those guys go for I think between four and eight hundred dollars, depending on the condition. So, and then we get into Reggie's rookie card just below that. Um, yeah. So uh, that that nineteen seventy Topps card number one forty, right? Fresh faced, uh, almost baby faced. Shows him in the midst of a posed swing at old Yankee Stadium in the waning days of uh, baseball vest uniforms. It's truly a piece of Amar- a piece of American art, if you ask me. Uh, by the end of the decade, with a fistful of rings and several lifetimes worth of controversies, uh, Reggie can be seen in his 1979 tops number 700 as more comfortable under his Yankee batting helmet, while blocking any glimpses into his soul with his polarized glasses, full mustache. <clears throat> afro peeking out from underneath his helmet so in between those two cards were gifted with front row seats as we watched a man define and electrify a decade of baseball the decades prior seeming almost like silent movies reggie jackson was a pioneer he individualized all sports you see there was an i in reggie sometimes it takes a generation to appreciate history you know to let it marinate but everyone had an opinion on reggie uh, no one more so than himself Every time you see a player take that long trip around the diamond as they admire their latest launch, remember where it started. Next time you see a chaotic storming of the field following an epic win, picture Reggie barreling across the field at Yankee Stadium following the 1977 World Series clinch, wearing his batting helmet as a fielder as he delivers forearm shivers to those civilians brave enough to get in his way. 
the mustaches, the beards, the alternate, al- alternate uniforms, remember five alone in 1973, clashes with management, free agency. He was there for all of it from the beginning. I ask you guys to enjoy and appreciate Reggie Jackson, an athlete who could provoke, contrive, and deliver however stormy the sea was. Here's to you, Reginald Martinez Jackson, and all you've done for the game. I know my opinions change on you, and I appreciate you, Reggie. So, uh, yeah, that's that. That's my take on uh, the anniversary, 50th anniversary of Reggie's epic home run at Tiger Stadium at the All-Star Game. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me this week in my journey back in time. If you have a comment or suggestion, perhaps you have a set from the 70s uh, that you'd like to hear more about or are interested in sponsoring that 70s card show, please reach out to me at that 70s card show at gmail.com that 70s card show on facebook or 70s card on twitter again music is by mango safari as usual which is available on itunes and spotify and uh, please remember to enjoy collecting and more importantly enjoy your collection see you next time folks thank you